we're in 1 Corinthians 14. My voice is shot. I'm sorry about that. <clears throat> um, we are in 1 Corinthians 14, and we're going to be going through verses 10 through 25. And the title is Worshiping Together Part 2. We began looking at this chapter last week, and Paul was talking about the difference between speaking in tongues and prophecy and how those things could be used in a church setting and how we should prefer prophecy or we should basically prefer that God use us in an intelligible way, not in an unintelligible way, so that the church can benefit because when we come together, the purpose is to bless one another, not just bless ourselves. And speaking in tongues, unless there's an interpreter, only benefits you. That's kind of what Paul was saying last week. And now let's start off in verse 10. We're just going to read and jump into it. I'll pray before I begin. Heavenly Father, I ask that you would meet us here during this time. And uh, I know that all of us have all sorts of issues going on. I pray that you would help us to, in this time, be able to take something away about you. That we wouldn't be distracted the whole time, but that there would be at least something from this scripture that would speak to us, that would cause us to reconsider, to reevaluate, and to do something different in our life. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 10, Paul writes, There are perhaps a great many kinds of languages in the world, and no kind is without meaning. If then I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be to the one who speaks a barbarian, and the one who speaks will be a barbarian to me. So also you, since you are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek to abound for the edification of the church. So I'm going to give you an example of what Paul means by this. When I was younger... Growing up in Southern California, I would hear a lot of foreign language spoken. I would hear a lot of Spanish spoken. But when I was a kid, I would just kind of make fun of it. I would laugh at it. I, or I'd be annoyed at it. It would bother me. In my ignorance, it sounded like gibberish, and so I thought it was gibberish. And for some reason in my mind, I remember thinking, they can't really be saying nothing. Like in my mind, whenever I heard them speak, it'd be like, and I would think they're not making any sense. And I would kind of laugh at them for that. Well, no, obviously they're saying things, but in my ignorance, I thought they were unintelligent. And so I would laugh at them. I'd make fun of them. Of course, as I got older, I understood there are different languages. Um, and so I, I began to make more, you know, I had a bigger understanding. And especially when I lived in a foreign country and then I was the foreigner having to learn a second language and I saw how I was looked down upon just because I couldn't speak their language, although I was completely articulate in English, there was a sense of if you're living there and their main language is this, if you have an accent or you struggle with speaking their language, that they look at you differently. So I got to experience that. And so obviously now as I've gotten older, I kind of see both sides of that. And so there's this joke, right? What do you call someone who speaks three languages besides Izzy? Trilingual, right? What do you call someone who speaks two languages? English, American. No, bilingual. You got me to the punchline. That's with one. With two languages, it's bilingual. Someone who speaks one language is American. That's a European joke. The, the Europeans think that Americans only speak one language, and I and many only do speak one language, right? So, yeah. So the same truth is true in church. The same truth is true in church. If there are if there's a new believer 
Or maybe there's an ignorant person who doesn't understand how spiritual gifts work yet. They don't understand all that. If they hear somebody going, they think that person's crazy. It's kind of like when I'm a young child hearing someone speak Spanish and I go, they're crazy. Now, I might even get more mature though. I might become a mature Christian and I might understand how spiritual gifts work. But if I don't have the gift of tongues and I hear someone speaking in tongues, I might not think they're crazy, but I still can't understand them. Similarly to where just because I can speak German, so I'm bilingual, and Izzy can speak three languages, he's trilingual, I can speak German to her, she can speak Italian to me, we still wouldn't understand each other. We might know how the mechanics of language works, but that doesn't mean we can understand each other. And so it's helpful when you come together to speak the same language, right? If I prepared a sermon in German, you all wouldn't understand it. If someone prepared one in Spanish, some would understand it, but you'd want to have a sermon in the language of the people in the same way the gifts we use in church, we should all want to understand one another. So what Paul's saying here with this whole languages thing is like, if I don't know the meaning of the language, I can't benefit from it. So he's still kind of reminding us of the importance of when you come together in worship, the way you participate together in worship, those should be in ways that others can understand and benefit from. And so again, verse 12, we should seek the spiritual gifts that can edify one another. That's one of the kids' things. We should seek spiritual gifts that can edify one another. You got a question, Amy? So what does the word edify mean from last week? Anyone? To build up. Good job, just wait. You knew it. I see that you knew it. To build up. And that's why there's a, a construction worker as your coloring man on your sheet. Okay. So Paul continues, verse 13. Therefore, let one who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. So here Paul says, when it comes to worshiping together, we ought to pray that we receive the gift of interpretation of tongues. So when it comes to interpreting tongues, I've never seen that, but I've come up with a couple of guidelines because we should seek that. If we're a church that's going to worship together and we're going to have times where others can share and minister and someone's got the gift of tongues and they feel like they want to pray, they're going to first ask, does anybody have the gift of interpretation? And if there's no one, they're going to stay silent. But if there is a gift of interpretation, what does that look like? What kind of things would you expect to be interpreted from speaking in tongues? So here are some, uh, here's some guidelines. The first guideline I already mentioned, it comes from verse 28, which we'll get to next week in more detail. If there's no interpreter, the one with the gift of praying in tongues should remain silent during church worship. Not always when they're in their own prayer closet praying, they shouldn't not pray in tongues because there's no one there in their private prayer closet to interpret for them. This is talking about corporate worship, worshiping together. They should be silent. That's the first guideline. But the second guideline is, so if there is an interpreter, if there's an interpreter present and someone wants to pray in tongues, what should we expect the contents of those to be like? So the, the second point is, the message should be directed to God not to man. When you pray in tongues, whether you know it or not, the contents of what you're praying is to God and not to man. I get that from verse two. For one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. And so if someone was gonna interpret that, 
Here's a red flag that I have. I've been in a worship service where someone was speaking in tongues and someone else sends up and goes, thus saith the Lord, I say to you people, and starts to say all these weird things that didn't make sense anyway biblically. But to me, the main red flag was God's never had a problem with prophesying intelligibly to his people. If God's got a word for his church, he's never had a problem with doing that with words. When we pray in the spirit, we pray to God. And so if that's a public thing, there's going to be interpreter. It's going to be the same as if I am praying. So if we're in a group setting and I am praying and you're all agreeing with me, I'm praying to God, I'm praying about things, I'm thanking him, I'm praying to him. It's not like, you know, I'm suddenly talking to you. I don't go, let's pray. And by the way, Eric, you know, I don't, that's not what prayer is, right? Prayer is to God. So speaking in tongues, praying in tongues is prayer. It's to God, not men. So the third point, so the first one was, if there's no interpreter, be silent. The second one was, the message is directed to God, not man. The third one is, the message is about God and not man. Why do I think that? Well, in Acts 2, the first example we have of this, when the baptism of the Holy Spirit first happened, the disciples began speaking in tongues, and then God made it possible for everyone who was listening to hear in their own language. And what kind of things were they hearing? Were they hearing Peter say, this is what God has done in my life, and God saved me out of this, and God did this? What, what were they saying? It said in verse 11 of Acts 2, we hear them in our own tongues speaking the mighty deeds of God. So when you're praying in tongues, the contents of what you're praying, it's praying to God, and it's praying the mighty deeds of God. So if there's somebody here who's going to interpret that, you would expect the content to be not just to God, but about God and glorifying to God. And those are the kind of things that I will look out for. If we begin to have this sort of time of worship at the end where we're all sharing and participating, if we get the situation where someone is praying in tongues and somebody's interpreting in tongues, I want us to be paying attention to the content because the content shouldn't be glorifying a person. It shouldn't be... Thus saith the Lord talking to the church. That way it would be prayers to God and prayers about God, speaking forth the mighty deeds of God. That's at least how I'm taking it. All right, then verse 14. If I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What is the outcome then? I will pray with the spirit and I will pray with the mind also. I will sing with the spirit and I will sing with the mind also. Otherwise, if you bless in the Spirit only, how will the one who fills the place of the ungifted say amen at your giving of thanks, since he does not know where you, what you are saying? For you are giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not edified. Here is something that I want everyone here to understand who has or has had the gift of tongues in their life. Just because you can pray in tongues doesn't mean that's the only way you should pray. Um, in fact, my mom mentioned somebody who told her once that she's like, I, I don't even know how I would pray if I couldn't pray in tongues. Paul says here specifically, I pray in tongues, but I also pray intelligibly. I do both, and I think we need both. Because Paul says here, your mind is unfruitful when you're praying in tongues. Your spirit is being built up. Your spirit's being edified. But we're also told to love God with our mind. We're also called to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Romans 12, 2, I think that is. And so we have this need 
to have an intellectual side of our faith where we're actually saying things to God. Because part of that is when you're praying in tongues, you don't know what you're saying. And there's a whole part of your walk with God where you should be confessing your sins to God. You should be confessing your fears to God. You should be talking about your concerns to God. You should be praying about others to God. And those are things you can do with your own language. And so for those that might think whenever they pray, it should only be in tongues, that isn't really biblical. But Paul says later on, he'll say, he speaks in tongues more than all of them. He loves speaking in tongues. He loves praying in tongues. He's not against that, but he also prays intelligibly. So Paul says he has the gift of tongues and he does both. He prays with the spirit, but also with the mind. He sings with the spirit and also with the mind. And back into the context of worshiping together, he says, others can't benefit or even agree or say amen at your prayer in the spirit because they don't understand the prayer. And so no one else is edified. Now Paul wants to make clear his point here, 18 and 19. He says, I thank God I speak in tongues more than you all. However, in the church, I desire to speak five words with my mind so that I may instruct others rather than 10,000 words in a tongue. So this is the priority we should have as far as corporate worship together and the kinds of gifts we value We'd rather speak five words intelligibly than a thousand in tongues unless, like he's already said, unless there's an interpreter. So again, how we pray and worship in private is different than how we pray and worship together. And when we pray and worship together, Paul's concern is that we need to be thinking about not just our own needs, but how we can benefit others. All right, now verse 20. Brethren, Do not be children in your thinking, yet in evil be infants, but in your thinking be mature. That's a whole great verse to take all on its own at some different point in time. In the law it is written, by men of strange tongues and by the lips of strangers I will speak to this people, and even so they will not listen to me, says the Lord. So then, tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophecy is for a sign, not to unbelievers, but to those who believe. Therefore, if the whole church assembles together and all speak in tongues and ungifted men or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are mad? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an ungifted man enters, he is convicted by all, he is called to account by all, the secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so he will fall on his face and worship God, declaring that God is certainly among you. So a lot of this is reinforcing what Paul's already been saying, but what I want to focus on is there's some confusing things said in here. What does he mean that tongues are for a sign to unbelievers and prophecy is a sign to believers? Here's what I think he's saying. I don't think he's saying either is wrong. I don't think he's, this section is not about saying one's better than the other. Because in the next verse he says, so what's the outcome when you assemble, verse 26, each has a psalm, has a teaching, a revelation, a tongue, an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. So he's not here trying to say one's better than the other. I think what he's doing is just giving us an example of how these gifts can be used. So I'm going to go more into verse 26 next week. Um, But as far as this section is concerned, I don't think he's making an argument here for why tongues is better or prophecy is better I also don't think he's saying that tongues are only a sign for unbelievers 
or that prophecy is only a sign for believers. I think he's just providing a general perspective on at least one of the ways these gifts can mean. And I'm going to explain why I think that. Um, So we've already established, Paul said, that if you speak in tongues publicly, there needs to be an interpreter, and it should be for the edification of the church. So let's just assume now, at this point, that Paul's talking about prophecy in the context of worship and tongues in the context of public tongues being interpreted, being understood. That's what I think he's talking about because he's already kind of laid that foundation. And so when someone speaks in tongues publicly and someone interprets and it edifies the church, it builds up the church. The church is encouraged by it. And Paul is saying, this is a sign to unbelievers. They will think we're mad in verse 23. Expect that. The world will think y'all are crazy. Someone's speaking gibberish and someone's interpreting and the church is growing. So it's a sign to the unbelievers that we have a God who is real and manifests himself in ways that they don't understand, but it's building up the church and we're being unified and we're stronger in our faith because of it. So he's saying in this way, speaking in tongues can be a sign to unbelievers. I don't think he's saying it's only a sign to unbelievers because obviously it would be a sign to us too, right? If somebody spoke in tongues, somebody interpreted, and it had this tremendous meaning for us, we'd be like, wow, God just spoke to us. That would also be good for believers. So I don't think he's saying it's only a sign for unbelievers, but it is a sign for unbelievers. And then when he says, when someone prophesies, and an unbeliever hears what is said and is convicted and repents, he's saying, this is a sign to believers that God's at work among them. In verse 25, declaring that God is certainly among you. So when you prophesy, when God speaks forth a word from you and an unbeliever hears it and they repent of their sin, that's a sign that God is at work among you. That can be a sign to believers. Now, that could also be a sign to unbelievers. It's not just a sign to believers. And that's what I think he's getting. I don't think he's saying tongues are only a sign to unbelievers prophecies only assigned to believers. I'm just, I think he's saying, here's one example of how these can be assigned. And I'm reminded of the story of uh, Spurgeon. I mentioned last week, Charles Spurgeon, who had the gift of prophecy, but didn't believe in the gifts of the Spirit. And so what did he call his uh, utterances of the Spirit or um, impressions of the Spirit is what he called them. This is a prophecy. This is an impression of the Spirit. And he would speak out and say something like, you, man, you've stolen the gloves from your master. And then, oh my gosh, how'd you know I stole from my master? And it would just happen. So if that can be a sign to the church, but to the world, but to the church that God is at work among you. Anyway, so Paul's main goal in this section, it seems to me, is to show how both of these gifts are important because he just spent a lot of time talking about how we should prefer prophecy over tongues and prefer interpretation over tongues just in terms of corporate worship and so that the church can benefit. And he gave many reasons for that. Um, And he also gave guidelines for how that should work. But now it seems like he just wants to make sure everyone doesn't feel discouraged in whatever gift they have because there is a place for these gifts in corporate worship. And so he's kind of, I think, just giving you examples of kind of how God can, can use them. And um, they all do have a part. And verse 26 makes it clear these all do have a part in our worship. And verse 26 is one of the main reasons which has convicted me about why we should change some things. And so we'll get into that next week. Um, let's go ahead and pray now, and then we'll, then we'll have the final 30-minute section after that. 
Heavenly Father, thank you for this passage, um, and I pray that you'd guide the rest of our conversation together uh, as we discuss any questions we have from the text, and as we discuss where we're going next. Uh, just please be with us. In Jesus' name, amen.